Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church, where our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. We do this every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Um, it, kind of an exciting week. We are going to start uh, church league softball practice this afternoon, so uh, that is at 2 p.m. behind the middle school, those ball fields behind there. A little hard to get back there. If you need help getting there, let me know. Love to have you with us. They've lowered the age to 13, so as long as you're 13 and up, you can uh, go ahead and hold on your mic. You might say hi. As long as you're 13 and up, um, you can come play. And I did say don't die on the way to first base, but I didn't say you had to run fast to first base. You just got to hit the ball hard enough where you can get to first base. One way or the other, and then we'll get a, get a pinch runner for you here. Well, I'm excited to have uh, Nick Dowdy up here, who is going to bring us the word. Um, you guys will recognize Grace. This is his wife. She sings with us every Sunday, and, and they usually come to the evening service. So you'll see Grace get up early and sing with us, and then come back and sing at the late service and participate in that. So um, I wanted you all to get to know them a little bit. Some of you have, who have been around for a while might know them, and, and they gave their testimony. But that has been pre-COVID, and everything pre-COVID is just a fog to me. I don't know about y'all. So um, I'm very, very happy to have him with us. Nick was part of a youth group that I was leading years ago, and uh, he interned with me at a, at a church where I was pastor. And uh, loves the Lord. I'm, I'm so glad to have him, have him here with us. You want to say hi to people, Nick? He's up here arranging everything. Hello. I'm Nick. Hey. Y'all say hi to Nick. Make Nick feel welcome, please. So, Nick, are you excited to be here? And nervous. Uh, okay, nervous is okay. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing this for a long time, since you were a small child, I guess. <laughs> and uh, um, I get nervous every Sunday. You're going to find out real quick why I usually don't bring my paper Bible up here for outdoor yeah. services, because it blows everywhere. That's all right, though. And... Uh, Nick, Nick, um, his name is Nick Dowdy. I don't think I gave your last name. So glad to have him with us. And his wife, Grace, is helping us get our kids' ministry restarted. And by the way, we are ready for you to uh, put in your volunteer application for that. Um, just a heads up, we always do background checks on everybody who works with our kids' ministry. That is something we have done since day one, and we will always do. We are not background checking you for having a parking ticket in 1998, okay? That doesn't matter. It's just for stuff that might endanger a child. So as long as you haven't done anything like that, you're perfectly okay. We'll need people in volunteer capacities for um, actually working directly with the kids, with check-in, with you know cleanup and sanitation and all that. There's a little bit you could do for anything. You don't necessarily have to be the teacher, quote-unquote. You could do a little bit of anything. So... Um, all right. I think I'm ready to turn it over to you, Nick. All right. Sounds good. Give Nick your attention, please. Hello, everyone. As he said, I am Nick. Uh, I'm going to open us up in prayer really quick, and then we'll hop into this message, okay? Dad, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you for all of these people here that you love so dearly. Um, I just ask that the words that I speak will be yours, that every word that comes out of my mouth will be anointed and hold weight in people's hearts because they're coming from you. I just ask that uh, you continue to open up our hearts and our minds to who you say we are, uh, to our identity as a son or daughter of, of you. And yeah, uh, 
I thank you for how good you are. I thank you that our identity does not change because you're the one who says what it is, and your truths never change. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So normally whenever I give messages, I'm sitting down, I'm not using a mic, and it's a lot smaller of a group, and there's no cars. But I'm excited. This is cool. Um, Don't really get to make eye contact with a lot of you, but just know that I am friendly and warm, and you can come and talk. My wife's shaking her head no, but I try to be. I try to be. Uh, But this message is going to be about identity. And the title that I decided to give it is, Who Defines Your Identity? And that's just the question that I want you guys to sort of ponder over as I go through my notes and what God's laid on my heart. And my hope with this message is to challenge you with the realness of your relationship with God. To hopefully address some of the things that keep you and I from fuller intimacy with our Father. I want this message to be a reality check for you as it was for me preparing it. And as I was praying about this to help stay in the vein of the revelation messages in time type things, God led me to ask this question, will you recognize the Father when you meet him face to face for the first time? And really just take a second and think about that. Will you recognize God the Father when you meet him face to face for the first time? It's a, it's a pretty deep question when you really take time to think about it. I've had to ask myself that, and it challenges me every time that I give it any sort of time and really start to think about what that's going to be like. Obviously, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awe-inspiring because he's going to be good. He's going to be great, but If you were to meet him in Food Lion, would you recognize him as you were walking through there going about your day-to-day business? Would you recognize him the first time you meet him face-to-face? Will you be able to recognize the tenderness and mercy in his eyes? Will you be able to recognize him as a father who loves you beyond all measure? Or will he be a stranger to you? Will you see him only as your master? Will you hesitate to approach him? How are we going to respond to meeting our Heavenly Father? And as I was praying and thinking about this, I would like to propose that whatever our relationship with Him looks like right now will then determine how we respond when we meet Him face to face. And so what I mean by that is if you know Him intimately as your Father now, you will know Him to that extent when you meet Him face to face. If you only view him and your relationship with him solely as a master-slash-servant relationship, you will know him to that extent when you meet him face-to-face, etc., etc. The idea is there isn't some magic button that gets pressed when you finally meet him face-to-face after you pass away or he comes back and takes us home. There isn't some magic button that gets pushed and then you automatically know him very intimately. It's a relationship. Relationships do not work that way. Relationships take time and they take investment. And granted, we'll have all of eternity for our relationship with him to grow. And then there won't be the sin problem getting in the way. But the idea is when you 
first meet him face to face, your relationship is going to be as it is when that happens. There's not going to be this magical jump into a deep relationship with him. So I personally find myself getting caught up in the day-to-day and forgetting about the reality that is my relationship with the Father. I don't know if any of you all can relate to that. But I, I become passive and don't intentionally try to become closer to him. And then in turn, I let him be the one that's pursuing. I stop pursuing him and allow him to be the only one pursuing me. And that, again, is not equaling out to a healthy relationship. So I say all of that to say this. Our relationship with God is as real as the person in the car with you right now. It is as real as the relationship you have with your mom and your dad, your brother or sister, the relationship you have with your kids, the relationship with your significant other. If we do not put time into our relationship, we can expect it to deteriorate. If we do not put time into a relationship, we can expect to become distant from the other person in it. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father is no different. If we wish to know God more, we must be relational with Him. We have to take care of it like we would any other healthy relationship. And sometimes, because He's God, we forget to view it that way. Because He's God and He's holy and He seems so far off, sometimes we forget to be relational with Him as we would someone else in our life. Or at least I do. Maybe that's just the me thing. But I doubt it is. Anyways, um, the next thing that I want to address is the possible intimacy block that you guys may have, right? I want to ask, what is keeping you from growing more intimate with the Father? Is it shame over a past sin that may have happened years and years ago that you just can't let go of? Or is it possibly shame over a sin that you continue to struggle with day to day? Is it depression? Is it addiction? Are you simply lukewarm? Have you grown too comfortable and became stagnant in your relationship with the Father? Do you find yourself trying to earn your spot at his table? Are you trying to earn your sonship or are you trying to earn your daughtership? Is anxiety keeping you from trusting the Father more deeply? What is causing you to put up a wall to keep the Father out? Why are you trying to keep him at arm's length? Or, if you were like me for the past several months, are you avoiding this line of thinking altogether so that you can keep living in the sin you don't want to give up? So you can keep living the way you have been because it's too challenging to start to think about what's actually keeping you from growing more intimate with the Father. Because as soon as you give face and recognize what's going on, it's a lot harder to ignore it at that point. And obviously I can't answer this for you, but I trust and pray that the Holy Spirit is highlighting what it is for you personally, keeping you from growing more intimate with the Father. I, just to be vulnerable and share because you guys don't know me and hopefully this will help with that a little bit, I personally struggle with making my relationship with God about what I can do for him. And then that equals out to how much confidence I have in approaching him as my father. And there's this weird thing that happens since we're human beings. Usually the way we interact with our parents is how we then project our relationship with the father. 
And so I would do the same thing with my parents. The way that I felt accepted and loved by my parents was by how much I could do for them or by them approving of me because of my works. And so I have done the same thing with the Father, our Heavenly Father. And believe it or not, making my relationship with the Father about what I can do doesn't equal out to a lot of good things. Normally it equals out to a lot of shame and guilt because I can never do enough for him because he is so holy and so good. And when my confidence is high, because I feel like I am doing good, because I feel like I'm on top of things, I'm performing well, I'm, you know, I have this perfectionist thing that I struggle with a lot. As if you ask my wife, she'll tell you it's very, very real. Whenever I feel like I am doing everything right, then I can approach that throne room boldly. But as soon as there's a slip up in my behavior, as soon as there's a slip up in my line of thinking or the way I'm talking, I then go deep, deep down into this pit of shame. And it takes a lot of uh, repentance <laughs> to come back out of it. And it takes, it you usually look like me beating myself up for a few days, throwing a self-pity party, and punishing myself, even though God's not, to make myself feel like it's okay to approach him again. And that's a very toxic mindset. And so what I would do is I would base my value on what I can do and how I act. And then, in turn, I think this is how God values me. And as humans, we have this tendency to take how we value people, including ourselves, and project it on to how God values people and things. And believe it or not, that's not how he does it. Unless we have truly repented our mindset, that's not how he does it. We base people's values off of things like their economic standing, their job. Rather, they are believer or not. Let's, let's be honest. A lot of the times when we meet someone and they tell us they're not a believer, they are lower on the peg stand than someone who is. And that's not okay. We base it on their theology. I know I struggled with that one for a long time. If their theology isn't the same as mine, then obviously they're a lesser believer, right? And that's, that's not okay either. We also base it off of if they attend church consecutively, their level of education, if they have good moral standings. So basically, we base people's value out of the things we can see, their exterior. And that's not how God does it. And 1 Samuel 6, 6, 16, 7 tells us this. If you want to write that down and go read it later, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but I'm not going to get into that because that's not what this message is about. It's just to help us understand that when God is looking to our value, it's not based out of what we can do or how we present ourselves. And so much of the time, that's what we make it about. And so if we can unlearn these toxic mindsets slash lies that the enemy has fed us our entire life, and we adopt the healthy mindset slash truths that God has for us, I believe we can begin to grow deeper into intimacy with the Father. I believe this is how those walls we put up come down and stay down. Because in my personal life, I have found that I go through these seasons, and I'm sure you feel the same, that I feel super close to God. I feel like the walls are down, but then for some reason they come back up. And I keep him at arm's length again. And 
I believe we address all of these toxic mindsets slash lies by starting with who he says we are. I believe that all of those things that I listed off that you could possibly be struggling with or whatever it is that's keeping you from further intimacy with the Father stems from an identity issue. I believe that 95% of what keeps us from going more intimate with the Father stems from an identity issue. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, So on a day-to-day, I believe what keeps us from remaining intimate with God comes out of us not truly understanding our identity according to our sonship, according to our daughtership. So I propose that if we are to know him more intimately as a father, we must first adopt his way of thinking of us. And there's this super unbiblical religious mindset that floats around in the church that says that we need to put ourselves down and think horribly of ourselves so that we can then begin to see God as for as good as he is. And I personally cannot stand that mindset. I personally cannot stand when believers will belittle themselves because that is in direct contradiction of what God says about them. And that's not okay. And we do it all of the time, intentionally or unintentionally. We do it all of the time. We belittle ourselves. We talk down on ourselves because we don't think we're good enough. And that directly is in contradiction with what God says about us. We're going to get into the scriptures. I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. Um, where was I? So then the question becomes, what is it that God, that God the Father says about us? What are the truths that we must replace the lies with? Because if we only rid of the lies and we do not replace them with the truths, it's not going to work. We can unlearn the lies. We can begin to start thinking that we're not a piece of garbage. We can start to think that we're not worthless. We can start to think that, you know, God does love us. Cool. But if we don't replace them with the biblical truths that God has and what he says about us, we're going to revert back to what is comfortable. And sadly enough, what is comfortable for most of us is the unhealthy mindsets that we've been living in our entire lives. For me, at least. Maybe not for you. But for me, every time I begin to stray away from who God says I am, I go back to that line of thinking that says that I'm not worth anything. And so for the rest of this message, I want to look at specific Bible verses that address our identity as a child of God directly. If you're a note taker and want to visit these later, now is the time to get ready to write down these verses because these are the ones that we're going to dive deeper into, okay? The first one and my favorite scripture of all time is found in 1 John 3.17. And so we're going to go ahead and read that real quick. Thankfully, I have that one on here. I only need one verse out of my paper Bible, which will be very nice because it won't blow everywhere. Um, But we're going to start reading from verse 16, and we're going to go through 19. But the focus verse that we're going to uh, zoom in on here in this uh, passage is verse 17, okay? And it reads, And we have known and believed the love of God that... Restart. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and he abides in love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And so that scripture is usually focused in on when people preach about it and give teachings about it with how there's no fear in love. And that's very important and it's very true and it's very powerful. But whenever I've read this scripture and have heard teachings on it, people have pointed out verse 17 and the depth that's found in that scripture because there's so much in that, okay? So let's, let's read it one more time. It says, <clears throat> where'd it go? Here it goes. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And this is the part right here. Don't miss this. Because as he is, that he is referencing Jesus, because as he is, so are we in this world. How do we miss that? That is, there's no if, ands, or buts to that. There's no, well, I did this this morning, so that can't apply. That's not what that says. It says, because as he is, so are we in this world. And so let's, let's dive deeper into that a little bit, okay? It's saying, as Jesus is, so how is Jesus in this moment? What is his standing before God in this moment? What has his standing before God been for eternity? It's been that he is his beloved son. He is holy. He has a righteous standing before the throne. As he is, so are we in this world, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. So that ties into the revelation thing unintentionally. But there's so much to that. And so when you read that, you can then go through the rest of the Bible and obviously, don't, don't get like sacrilegious about it and be like, well, Jesus is the coming of God, and so that's, that's, I am that now. You know, that, that's not what this is. What this is, is Jesus' identity as a son is our identity as a child of God, and there is no variation. Whatever God says about Jesus as his son is what he is saying about us. And that, when you have that mindset, when you're reading through the Gospels and you're reading through what is said about Jesus as a son and his identity, and you apply that to yourself, it changes everything. It changes everything. It's changed everything for me in my life. And so, it's so easy to miss the significance of verse 17 in this section. Um, like I said, all of, all of this and all of these verses are super good and important, but it, there is so much depth of our identity that is found in verse 17. It specifically says, as he is, so are we in this world, so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Like I said, that he is referencing Jesus, the perfect son of God. So, again, just to emphasize, the standing that Jesus has before God is the standing that you have before God. That shame, that condemnation, that guilt that you walk around with isn't yours. That isn't what God wants you to walk around with. 
That's not the identity that God has purposed you for. That's not the identity that God has redeemed you to. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be adopted back into his family. And he paid too heavy of a price for us to just simply be adopted back in and then walk around thinking about ourselves as we did before we were adopted. That's not okay. It's not okay for us to belittle what God has called good. It's not okay for us to do that for other people, and it's especially not okay for us to do that about ourselves. And it's so easy to do that. Church culture says it's good to put yourself down. Church culture says it's good to think little and less of yourself. But that's a misunderstanding. It's an unbiblical, it's an unbiblical lie that has been going through the church for many, many years. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. We can talk after. <sighs> okay, sorry. I guess I get that touches a heartstring for me quite often every time I talk about it. Um, so with that knowledge of what 1 John 3.17 says about us, let's go a little deeper uh, and explore a little more scripture that we can then use that knowledge, that truth that is laid out so plain for us in that and apply it to another scripture, okay? So the next one that we're going to is Matthew three, sixteen through 17. I'm doing pretty good on time. Like, look at that. Okay, cool. Um, and it, so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Matthew three sixteen through 17 really quick. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. As that moment, heaven, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. And so whenever just bear with me here. So whenever I first heard a message like this, there was this part of me that rose up inside of myself that was like, but that's about Jesus. I'm not Jesus. How, why should that apply to me? That's not, that's not, that, that doesn't feel right. I would, I, I would think to myself, that doesn't feel right. And the more and more I prayed about it and the more and more I thought about it, it could be not right if you're abusing what that is. And again, like I said earlier, you make it, you make it more than what it is. We share in the inheritance of Jesus. We share in the standing that Jesus has. We don't earn it. It is a gift given to us. And so the more I prayed on it, and then whenever, because uh, the message that I heard, I, I remember it very vividly, they, they started with this, and then they went to 1 John three seventeen, and then it sort of it clicked more because it's really hard to argue with that scripture. Um, it's really hard to argue with any scripture, but especially that one. And so I guess what I'm getting at is don't get caught up on the fact that this could be abused because that is Satan trying to keep you from your identity. And again, if you disagree with me, because that's okay, you can have your opinion, come and talk with me and we'll talk it out after this, okay? But the thing that I want to focus on here is when God the Father says, this is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so when we take 1 John 3.17 and apply it to this, 
God is saying that I'm his son whom he loves and he is well pleased in me. He is well pleased in you. He loves you. He is well pleased in you. Since God the Father is well pleased in Jesus, therefore he is pleased in us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done and because we are shares of his inheritance. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We share the same inheritance as Jesus, therefore we share the same standing before the throne. We are a child in whom God is well pleased. And the Greek word for that phrase, well pleased, is, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but that's okay, Um, eudokio, and the point is it's defined as it seems good to one is one's good pleasure, or think it good, choose, determine, decide, or to be well pleased with, take pleasure in, to be favorably inclined toward one. And so all of those truths apply to us and our identity as a child of God. God the Father is well pleased in you. God the Father thinks it's good He determines you to be good, and he has decided that you are good. You do not have to earn God's approval or convince him to say you are good. Jesus has already done the work. Jesus' sacrifice was enough for God to say you are good. And when we try to make it more than that, when we try to scrape our way up the ladder to earn our spot at his table, we are making it about ourselves, and we are saying Jesus' sacrifice isn't good enough. We are saying that what Jesus did doesn't actually make this true in my life. We're saying there's still something missing. The sacrifice was incomplete. I still have to earn my spot. I still have to prove I'm good enough. And that's Satan's ploy to make our relationship work-based. Now, I also want to point out that with this, this doesn't mean that we can sit in our identity and sin as we want, because obviously Paul tells us in Romans that that's not okay. And so the thought process here is that whenever we can truly come to this place of understanding that our, our identity isn't rooted in what we do, then we're free to live as Christ has called us to. We're free to live in such a way that we aren't bound to those old thought processes anymore. And we're able to live according to his his spirit's leading because there's no condemnation for those who live in the spirit and chase after the spirit, right? My main thing with this, because this is the perfectionism trying to rise up in me right now, and so I repent of that, because I don't have to explain everything in this message. I don't have to close all the circles. That's not what we're doing here. Um, You do not have to earn God's approval or convince him that you are good. Jesus has already given you that status through his sacrifice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop rambling there. And 
We're going to move on to our next uh, scripture. It's found in Romans 8, 14 through 17. And this is one of my favorite ones. Um, It says, For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Greek word here for adoption to sonship is a term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. So we're going to have a little history lesson here really quick. Um, And I promise it's applicable and means a lot. So in Rome, adopting a child meant that that child was freely chosen by the parents and desired by the parents. It doesn't, it's not the same as we think in in, in our time in Western culture with adoption. Um, It's different in a lot of ways, and you can go home and look this up. But it, it means that that child was freely chosen by the parents and desired by the parents. That child would be a permanent part of the family. Parents could not disown a child they had adopted. And normally, an adopted child in this time was because the family could not conceive a male uh, to pass along the uh, the wealth and the uh, name that they had made for their family. And so with this, as soon as that child was adopted in, they received a completely new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life, not something that began at death. Being adopted made someone an heir to their father, joint sharers in all his possessions, and fully united to him. There were no barriers. There, were, there, there wasn't any waiting, and that, that applies to our adoption into God's family as well. All of what God has isn't for ours, our taking. Our inheritance doesn't wait until we pass away or until his second coming. It it is now, it is present, it is here. All of our past debts and responsibilities and commitments are gone. All of the things that had us tied to this world are gone because once we've been adopted into uh, God's family, we are given a completely new identity and a new standing before him. It's wiped clean and we are no longer straying on our own. We are joint shares and an heir to all that they have. He has chosen to bring us into his family. He has willingly and consciously made a decision to bring you back to his family because he wants you and chooses you freely. And so that's what God has done for us with this adoption, but it's on a much larger scale. We are brought into a new family, and nothing can ever change this. Nothing can ever change. There's no, nothing on this earth that can touch our standing with God. There's nothing that can change our adoption that God has made and has fulfilled. 
Um, and so we're going we're gonna to land the plane here. Um, I, there are so many more verses that we could go into and speak that uh, contribute to our identity. Um, and I hope that these help you see yourself more as God does. He sees you as a child in whom he is well pleased. There's no fighting for that. There's no earning that. A child that he has adopted into his family by his choice because he wants you. He doesn't want what you can do. He doesn't want what you have to offer. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your land. He doesn't want your car. He doesn't want your dog. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind because he loves you because you yourself are precious. Nothing that you do adds on to the value that God sees in you. Where was I? He wants you not because of what you have to offer, but offers you the ultimate inheritance. To think ourselves worthless, no good, useless, annoying, helpless, hopeless, a problem, unwanted, not good enough, is to think differently than God. When you put yourself down, when you say you're not worthy of love, when you choose to think in such a way that makes you the enemy, that makes you a problem, you are not lining up with the way God thinks of you. And for me, when I do that, that's, that's a problem. Because ultimately, our goal is... Christians, our goal as followers of Christ is to repent and have our mind renewed in such a way that it looks the same way God thinks. If we're not thinking the way God does, we're not living the way God does. Because every action we take comes from a thought. And so if our, our mind and our thought life isn't lining up with God's thought life, our, our life our, our living out of it is not going to line up. And so, if we choose to think differently, we try to argue with God when we call ourselves any of those things. And do we truly believe that we know better than God? Do we have more of a right to, do, to define ourselves than God who created us and adopted us back into his family does? Do we know better than him? Do we truly think that we have the right to say who we are after the price he's paid and the fact that he created us in the first place? But we do it all the time. We do it to other people all the time. Whenever we do this, we agree with the lies that Satan has fed us and has conditioned us into believing. He wants us to beat ourselves up constantly so that we will keep God at arm's length because we aren't good enough. And ultimately, that's what I want this message to break through. I want this idea that we're not good enough to go back to hell because that's where God sent it when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross and whenever he adopted you back into his family. He said you're good enough, and what he says stands. There's no arguing with it. So to come full circle, what level of intimacy you are going to meet your heavenly Father? What level? Okay. So to come full circle, 
I want to ask, what level of intimacy are you going to meet your heavenly father with? He is going to love you the same, and you're going to have the rest of eternity to grow closer to him, but why would you wait to get to know him? He has cleared a path back to intimacy with him, even in the middle of our hardships in this world. Don't let your first face-to-face interaction with God be one where you question who he is or where you stand with him. And so I just want to close in prayer really quick. And I thank you guys for listening to my rambles. I hope that there was something in there for you guys. Um, This is the first message I've given in probably a year and a half. So I was extremely nervous and, uh, what is it, out of practice. Um, (laughs) So thank you guys for your time. Let's go ahead and close this in prayer. Uh, Dad, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And I just want to thank you for our identity. I want to thank you that... We are who you say we are, and that there is power and that there is a way to overcome the lies that the world feeds us, the, li- the lies that Satan feeds us, that, it, that it's possible to renew our minds, as it tells us in Romans 12.1, um, or 12.2. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and, per- and the perfect will of God. And I just, I ask that for each and every one of us. I ask that you will renew our minds, that you will show us and help us to think as you do about ourselves, that there won't be this weird, unloving spirit that we walk around with toward ourselves or others. Um, and I thank you that it's okay to love ourselves. I thank you that it's okay to think good things of ourselves because you do. As weird and contradictory as that sounds, because I thank you that it is good because to do that is to think the way you think and it is to, to see ourselves as you see us. I pray that you'll help us to find the balance and not become prideful and not become arrogant in our status, but to walk as Jesus did with humility, but confidence before you and before your throne. Um, Thank you that you paid the ultimate price so that we could have the standing. Thank you that you love us beyond all measure and that our identity is who you say it is. And I pray that we'll just be able to grow deeper into that and grow more intimate with you because that's what life's about. Uh, We love you. We thank you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Nick, for bringing the word. Can we give Nick our gratitude right now for bringing the word? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You did good, my brother. You did good. Thank you so much. Pray for Nick and Grace. They're a, a young couple. What is it? September will make a year. August will make a year. They've been married. A young couple trying to do the right thing, so I'm rooting for them 100%. Thank you all for being a part of the service today. Um, let folks know we're here at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. every Sunday. Softball practices this afternoon at 2 behind the middle school. Bring an extra glove if you got one. There may be some folks that don't have a glove. Love you guys. Um, so glad you're part of what we're doing. Lord willing, Next month, we'll be back inside.
and we won't have to worry about the wind blowing the Bible away when we're trying to preach, and that'll be very exciting. One of the biggest questions that we still need to answer is with kids' ministry. We, we need to hear from uh, the volunteers for that so we can get that lined up. That's like the, the biggest thing because we feel so strongly that the kids' ministry has to be done right and uh, raise these kids in the right way and make sure everything is safe and protected. But uh, God bless you all. Thank you for being a part of this, and we'll see you next time.